Great to see you all. Happy New Year. Um, often as we uh, get into the month of January, not every year, but most years, we spend the month of January as a church um, focusing on some series that reminds us of the unique call and character of Littleton Christian Church. And we're going to do that this year. This year, for the four Sundays of January, we're going to focus on the four core values of Littleton Christian Church. Those are framed on the hallway as you come down the ramp, so you see them every week. Um, but those values are, uh, are four things, the gospel, humility, unity, and generosity. I remember this by saying G-hug, and now you can remember it by saying G-hug. G-hug, those are our four values. Now, uh, to give some action to those, we added some words. We want to be rooted in the gospel, growing in humility, pursuing unity, and living in generosity. Now, where did these come from? Uh, these originally came from a, a study that we were doing as a church on uh, the letter to the Romans, particularly Romans chapter 12, which is this great picture of a church that is living out the gospel. It's a call to live out the gospel in detail in community. And so uh, meditating on that, studying that over and over again, these are the four things that sort of surfaced there. But the, uh, the wonderful thing about it is these four ideas, these four values, all throughout the New Testament, wherever, wherever there's um, a, a letter being written to a, a group of people trying to live and build their lives around Jesus, these things surface. And so for this month, we're going to do something of uh, an experiment, so to speak. It's, it's going to work, but an experiment. We're going to look at a particular letter of the New Testament. It happens to be four chapters long, which is convenient. And we are going to look for these values as they emerge in this letter. I'm talking about the letter to the Colossians. I love the letter to the Colossians, and I'm excited for a chance to return to it. So um, each week, we will pair a chapter of Colossians with one of these values and, and you know, see what, um, you know, harmony develops out of those things. This is Colossians chapter 1. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Your faith and love have arisen from the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you have heard about in the message of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as in the entire world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, so it has also been bearing fruit and growing among you from the first day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. You learned the gospel from Epaphras, our dear fellow slave, a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, from the day we heard about you, have not ceased praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live worthily of the Lord 
and please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created in him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself may become first in all things. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son, and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven." And you were at one time strangers and enemies in your minds as expressed through evil deeds, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you holy without blemish and blameless before him. If indeed you remain in the faith, established and firm without shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, this gospel has also been preached in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become its servant." Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I fill up in my physical body, for the sake of his body, the church, what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. I became a servant of the church according to the stewardship from God, given to me for you in order to complete the word of God, that is, the mystery that has been kept hidden from ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known to them the glorious riches of this mystery, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom so that we may present every person mature in Christ. Toward this goal, I also labor, struggling according to his power that powerfully works in me. This is the word of the Lord. Father, uh, in this moment of silence, would you Speak to us about your word. Lord, as we, uh, as we consider these words from Paul and Timothy uh, to the believers in Colossae, Lord, would you also speak to us? Uh, would you take this message um, and to encourage them And by your Holy Spirit, bring it into our lives to shape us and secure us in you. Lord, let us be rooted in the gospel and let the gospel bear fruit in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, I recognize that what I just read was incredibly dense. Uh, Paul often hits the ground running when he writes a letter. I mean, he's just so excited about, uh, about 
uh, the, the truths of Christ and, and his love for the people that he's writing for, that, man, it just comes spilling out. And, and I wonder if you had that feeling of drinking from a fire hose while I was reading it just now. And, of course, I won't have time today to go through each facet of what we have just read. It's worth meditating on. What we're doing is looking for uh, how Paul emphasizes the gospel, how he calls the Colossians to be rooted in the gospel. And to understand how he's doing that, we need to know a little bit about why this letter was written, at least why we think it was written. Colossa um, was not a very influential town. A lot of the cities Paul went to were more influential. Colossa wasn't. And in fact, Paul never visited Colossa. This is, this is a group of believers that he only knows secondhand. Uh, probably what happened was he was teaching in, in one of the major towns like Ephesus, and uh, some Colossians who were doing business in Ephesus heard his teaching and were moved by it. Probably um, Philemon, who's a, a wealthy homeowner in Colossa, and Epaphras, uh, who Paul mentions here as the one who conveyed the gospel to them originally. Probably these guys were traveling for business or whatever and met Paul and were converted and went back, and they were the ones who started the church in Colossa. And, and it seems Epaphras has now made his way back to Paul. They might be imprisoned together, we're not sure. But there Epaphras is with Paul and Timothy, kind of his little troop. And Epaphras is bringing this great news about Colossa. Like, Paul, you wouldn't believe it. It's amazing. These, these ideas about Jesus, you know, the, the Jewish Messiah who's king of the nations, you know, Epiphany. Um, he, he, we, we started proclaiming this in town, and it's like people came alive when they heard it, and now there's a, a community of people gathering regularly to learn more about Jesus and, and, and try to live the, the life that comes from following him, and, and we love it. It's so exciting. Uh, but Epaphras also has some challenging news for Paul. The, the thing is, they're, they're so hungry to learn that they've invited some other teachers from town and some teachers who seem to have some spiritual insights and whatever, and they're teaching things that don't seem to quite fit with what you had been saying about Jesus and about the way of Jesus. And, and so Paul is writing his letter back to the Colossians, one, to encourage them, and two, to challenge them to, to be careful about the other teachings that they're um, giving uh, uh, credence to. So, uh, so that's why Paul writes a lot of letters, honestly. When he learns about some uh, some heresy or some uh, drifting that's happening in a community that he loves, he'll write a letter to them. Sometimes his letters are fierce. You may remember the letter to the Galatians. You know, the Galatians uh, had sort of drifted back. They, they believed that they needed to put themselves back under the law of Moses and all of its stipulations. They were wanting even the Gentile believers to, to be circumcised and purified as a Jewish person would, and, and this infuriated Paul. He thought it was such a, a distortion of the gospel. And so Galatians is angry. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That's what he does in that letter. This one, his tack is a little bit more um, gentle, <laughs> a little bit more persuasive. Rather than, um, rather than berate them for drifting, he wants to present 
the genuine artifact to them. He wants them to see the real thing in all its glory. Just a few of you uh, remember an, uh, an old friend of this church named Hank Salmons. Uh, Hank was on staff with me way back in the day, like 18 or 19 years ago, and, um, and ministry was Hank's second career. Hank had been a police chief in Wichita before he came to Colorado and, and started all sorts of ministry endeavors, including working at various churches. And um, in his days on the police force in Wichita, Hank uh, interfaced with, uh, with federal agents who were, they were particularly charged with identifying counterfeit money. And, uh, and here's the basic thing that I learned from Hank. I can only lean on his expertise here, but, but the way a federal agent whose job it is to, to identify counterfeit money, the, the way they learn to do that is, is not actually by learning about all the different, you know, things that they might see on a counterfeit. It's actually by studying for hours and hours, day after day, studying the original. Let, take a look at this. Here's, here's, one of these is a counterfeit bill. Do you know which one? I don't. <laughs> no idea. I mean, there are little differences about them, but, but who, you know, who knows? It would, you would know if you, would, if you had, you know, maybe you love to just gaze at your $100 bills every night. I don't know. Um, the, the, the tithe bag is right back here. Uh, anyway. Um, <clears throat> uh, moving on. So, um, yeah, so, so what they do is they study, the, they, they get so... Um, detailed in their understanding of the genuine that that they could identify when even the smallest detail has changed how it feels the the color of ink that you know is this sharper or dull or whatever they they notice those little differences I think that's what Paul is doing in the letter to the Colossians he's presenting the real thing the real gospel so that they can identify when something is a counterfeit. I love the picture of the real thing that's presented here. You know, the verses, you know, first he introduces, you know, me and Timothy were writing to you, and then uh, verses 3 through 8, they, they celebrate the fruit that the gospel produces. Verses 9 through 14 or is this amazing prayer that, the, that their roots would go even deeper into the gospel. Verses 15 and 20 is like a, a poem or a hymn. You know, maybe Paul wrote it. Maybe it's a song that the early Christians sang about Jesus being the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It's this incredible hymn about the glories of Jesus. And the chapter ends with a reflection on the way the gospel connects Paul with this group of believers that he's never met in person, the believers in Colossae. It's a great picture of the gospel. Um, just over 10 years ago, uh, there, this, this book came out uh, by Trevin Wax called Counterfeit Gospels. It's a really important book, a really helpful book. And, and Trevin Wax, it's sort of a modern day Colossians in a way. What he does is he presents some element of, of the gospel as, you know, as he, it's found in scripture. And then he shows some examples of how changing just one little detail of that can lead to a counterfeit. And he gives uh, several uh, what he calls counterfeits, ways that people have distorted the gospel and kind of drifted away from it. And, and these are really common things that, 
that a lot of us have drifted into. Uh, you know, I, I have at different points, so it's a really helpful book. But in that book, what, what Wax does is he says the gospel stands on a three-legged stool. Um, and the, there are these three ideas that, um, that if you change any one of them, the stool will, will fall over. All right, the, the gospel, he calls these legs the gospel story, the gospel news, and the gospel community. The gospel story, the gospel news, and the gospel community. The, the story is looking at the big story, how the story of the world and the story of Scripture all find their place and purpose and become a united message in and through Jesus. The news is the announcement about Jesus specifically who he is and what he has done. He, Christ, has come. He is king. Christ is Lord, they would say. They would announce that in their communities just the way the Roman announcer would say, Caesar is Lord. Christ is Lord, they would say. And then a community would be formed around that story and that news, and it would grow up out of that. So if you change the story or soften the news or abandon the community, you'll end up with a counterfeit. Another way to think of it is this. The story and the news are the soil in which the roots go down, and the community is the, the tree that grows out of it. And the character of the community are the, is the fruit that's growing on the tree. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul offers us a story, news, and a picture of community. Let's take a look. The story. Unlike uh, some of his other letters, you know, Paul's a, he's a, he's a Jewish scholar. He, he has uh, what we would call the Old Testament probably memorized. He knows it in detail. He's memorized what a lot of the other scholars have to say about it. I mean, he is an expert in it. And in some of his other letters, he's quoting it left and right. He's, he's tying Jesus to, you know, to the story about Abraham and Moses and King David. And, and he's quoting the prophets. And he does that a lot in other letters. But there are hardly any Jews in Colossae. He's writing to a group of people who are entirely Gentile in their background. And, and so you might think he's not going to connect much of the story, uh, it, it, you know, the way he does in, say, the letter to the Romans, which goes into great detail, particularly about um, Abraham. Um, he, he's not going to go into that detail. That's, that, that wouldn't be as relevant for the Colossians. These are not Messianic Jews like Matthew's readers. They're, they're Gentiles, Gentile background believers like Luke's readers. And it turns out, if you read ahead in Colossians, one of the people at the end of Paul's letter who's passing his greet, who wants, you know, hey, make sure you say hi to them for me. One of the people who wants to greet the Colossians is Luke. Luke somehow knows the Colossians. He may have even spent time there. He may have been there presenting to them the picture, the stories of Jesus as he's presenting it in the Gospel of Luke, which we're in the middle of studying. We'll get back to it in February, okay? So there's a lot of overlaps here between the way Luke presents it and the way uh, Paul and Timothy present it in Colossians. And Paul tells the story He's not connecting it to Abraham. He's going further back. 
Before God chose Abraham's family through whom he'd redeemed the world, he created the world in goodness. All created things were meant to fulfill their blessed purpose. They were meant to bear fruit. When, when Paul says the gospel has been bearing fruit in your midst just as it's, been, as it's been bearing fruit in the whole world, he's actually quoting scripture. He's quoting Genesis 1. Because all over Genesis 1, when God creates a living thing, he blesses it. And when he blesses it, it bears fruit and multiplies. The trees bear fruit, the animals bear fruit, the people bear fruit, and even the Sabbath is blessed and meant to bear fruit and multiply. But the people of Colossae, they know that in normal life, things just don't, don't produce and bear fruit the way they're meant to. They, they know what their real life is like. Crops suffer based on weather and weeds and the skill and diligence of the farmer. One of the riskiest things to do is to have children. <laughs> we may think of it as relatively safe now. Of course, you know, you, all you mamas are still cautious and, and you know, get ex- surround yourself with experts or go to the hospital to make sure it goes well. Um, but it was, a, it was a life-risking experience. The only reason some people enjoyed peace and prosperity in Colossae was because most people were conscripted to servitude through debt or war or societal standards. I mean, they could look around and say, gosh, it's not bear- life as, as it is isn't bearing fruit for everyone the way it should. The fact that a few things bear fruit in this broken reality means that many other things must suffer. So Paul tells the story, but he tells not not the story of Abraham and Moses. He tells the story of creation. That all of creation was blessed originally. People People somehow know that the way things are are not the way they're supposed to be. And he says, but wait, as the gospel is taking root among you, it's bearing fruit. As the Colossian believers align their lives under this new and strange king, the, the one named Jesus, they are seeing a fruitfulness unlike anything they've ever known. So even when he's avoiding the the Jewish details of the story in order to connect with Colossae can't help but tell the bigger story of the world. All this stuff came from him. The story of the world is ultimately a story about who Jesus is. I mean, consider the song that Paul is singing. Take a look at this. He, he says, "In Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created in him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He himself is before all things and all things are held together in him. Paul is telling the story of the world through Jesus. But there's also news about Jesus that that they need to hear. Again, for someone with a Jewish background, the news might be proclaimed, you know, kind of like it's 
It is in, in Romans 1 that Jesus was a son of David according to the flesh and an appointed son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit by the resurrection from the dead. But talking about Jesus as son of David to someone who doesn't care about David is less relevant, right? You can't, of course, you can't grasp the news about Jesus without the story of the people of Israel. And I think that's what the Colossians were spending their time studying. But Paul needs to make this announcement in a different way. The, the, the announcement for a Jewish person is the Davidic son is here and he's, he's conquered in a surprising way, but he's conquered and now he's reigning. That's the announcement. For those who had never stepped foot in the synagogue, but every day were confronted with the claim that Caesar is the son of God, who's brought about peace through his military might, this news would sound more like the news of an invading emperor, a rebel who's meaning to overthrow Caesar. They weren't waiting for a Messiah, but they were aware that there were powers, political powers, spiritual powers, cultural powers, and more that bound them. They were under Caesar's thumb. Life was good as long as you played Caesar's game. But as soon as you stopped, you were going to be punished. What if this Jewish Messiah is also the cosmic liberator of the world? What if he offers light and love and freedom and glory, not just to Israel, but to all the nations? Did you hear what Paul wrote? God had, in his, God had all his fullness dwell in the Son and reconciled all things to himself through him. That's what he wrote. The central element of the news is stunning for Jew and Gentile alike. He delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. That's the news. You have been transferred from one kingdom to the other. How? Well, it's strange news. Through the blood of his cross, Paul says. Look at this. This is in his song again. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The news is that through Jesus, you are offered spiritual liberty, which will manifest in your life in all sorts of ways. It would be a lot for a Gentile to swallow. I mean, the, the God of this small people down in Judea is actually the God of the universe. That would be a lot for them to swallow. And unbeknownst to you, you've been re in rebellion to him. But guess what? Before you even knew that, he offered forgiveness to you. God does not remain shrouded in mystery. He comes to us, makes himself known to us, and rescues us. When Christians speak of good news, that's what we mean. That's what we're talking about. Being transferred to the kingdom of the son that he loves means that when, wherever we find ourselves, those of us who have, who have been transferred into that kingdom, who are delivered, we, we have been delivered to become an alternate kingdom. A group of people that lives amongst one another in a different way than, 
them out there. This isn't us and them. We are to live differently than them out there. You see, Jesus' reign does not depend on political influence or military might. The story and the news form a special kind of community. And that's the last thing that I want to highlight here. Paul writes that the gospel is bearing fruit in Colossae just as all over the world. What, what fruit is he talking about? Well, what does he mean? Well, there's two things that he's celebrating there at the beginning. He's celebrating their faith in Christ, which could mean their trust in Christ, their loyalty to Christ. He's celebrating their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints. Now, I was going to spend a few minutes convincing you that saints meant you, but Mike Kirsten's already did that this morning. That's you. That's by the grace of God. That's what, that's what we've been made. This isn't some group of people that, that through, you know, years and years of debate and in the, you know, higher echelons of the church, we finally decide you can be a saint. No, no, no. A saint is anyone who's been clothed with the righteousness of Christ, who can boldly approach the throne like we sang in, in Stephen's song. That's a saint. So, their love for the saints and their faith in Christ. That's, that's the fruit that Paul notices that he celebrates. Often we think the gospel bearing fruit should look like other things. We think maybe it should look like the movie, movement getting more and more popular. We think it should look like the organizations that bear the name of Christ uh, becoming more powerful, more you know, b- fancier, bigger. Um, we have all sorts of things that we think it should look like, but friends, what Paul notices is their loyalty to Christ and their love for one another. The gospel is bearing fruit in ways that are hard to measure, but that's what Epaphras is telling Paul about. Um, he prays this wonderful prayer for them. He prays this prayer for the Colossians that, that they'd be filled with the knowledge of God so that they could please him and live worthily of him in every way. And, and then he describes what that looks like. And I think this could also be a list of the fruits. Here's the four things that he prays for. One, that they would be bearing fruit in every good deed. He also prays that they would be growing in the knowledge of God. Third, that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness. And fourth, that they would be joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light, bearing fruit in every good deed. Uh, um, um, I already forgot them. Growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, joyfully giving thanks. This is what it looks like when our roots are going deeper in the gospel. I want to particularly emphasize the third one. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness. Um, I, I, I don't know much about agriculture or horticulture. Uh, but I, I have this, the general concept of 
roots down, okay? When a tree has roots, those roots are one, providing stability to the tree, and two, they are drawing nutrients in from the soil. How'd I do? Basic science? All right, science 101. All right, so when you plant a new tree, sometimes you start by putting stakes up around the tree. And those stakes give the tree some stability, but eventually, if you don't remove the stakes, the roots will never get deep enough and strong enough for that tree to survive. What the tree needs at some point is to be blown by the wind just enough that it will drive its roots deeper in. When Paul is praying that they would be strengthened with all power, you know, we, we might first think that that looks like some sort of, you know, kind of worldly glory or worldly influence, but what he says it looks like is all patience and steadfastness. Our roots go deeper, friends, when we struggle together. That's when we remember who Jesus is and what he's done. That's when we are drawn to lean on him. When the difficult times come, that is God's invitation for your roots to go deeper into the gospel. Our roots, our deeds, no matter how good they look, will never be good and bear fruit without the grace of God that gives us his inheritance in the light. All of those things, those aren't a command for you to try to bear fruit in every good deed as, you know, try as hard as you can. That all comes from being filled with the knowledge of God. Even Paul's prayer is emphasizing the gospel. It's something that is given to us. And it's a story that climaxes in the good news about Jesus and produces the community of Christ. So remember, if you remove or distort any one of these things, the story, the news, or the community, you'll have a counterfeit. As Jesus says, you can tell a tree by its fruits. A good tree does not bear bad fruits. What was Paul looking for? He was looking for trust in Christ and love for the saints. Let's look for that this year amongst one another. Trust for Christ and love for the saints among us. The words that we use to express those things are our other three values, humility, unity, and generosity. That's what trust and love look like in real time. And those things will never grow unless King Jesus is on the throne and our roots are deep in him. In Paul's words that come just a little bit later in chapter 2, he says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and firm in your faith, just as you were taught. Friends, through Jesus, God reconciled all things to himself, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Whatever else happens, we become that different kind of community that acts different than the world out there by gathering around one table, which reminds us that he declared victory through his blood. This is where the story, the news, and the community literally come together. And it's available to you. Let's pray. Father, let us be a community that is rooted in the gospel. Lord, especially 
especially when the challenges come. Lord, let us not turn to the the tools and, and tricks and powers of this world, but instead, Lord, let us turn more deeply to you. Lord, let us grow with all patience and steadfastness and the power of Christ together. Lord, show, show us what it looks like. Lord, let us see the fruit of the gospel on this tree this year. In Jesus' name, amen.